0: Hey, everyone, it's Bill Simmons. Before we get started, I want to let you know that you were listening to one of six classic episodes of The Rewatchables, a podcast that's been around for the last few years. And if you're listening on any platform other than Spotify, you can only hear the last 60 days of new Rewatchables episodes, plus these six classics, The Godfather, Heat, The Social Network, Old School, Jaws, and The Town. But for the entire archive, go to Spotify, where you can listen to every episode for free. Today's episode of The Rewatchables is brought to you by SeatGeek.
1: SeatGeek is the best app for buying and selling tickets to sporting events, concerts, and more. For $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase on any game or sporting event, all you have to do is use promo code Rewatch, download the SeatGeek app, or go right to SeatGeek.com.
0: Welcome to The Rewatchables. We will be doing 20 episodes of these over the next 20 weeks or so. It's a new season, like a TV season. Yeah. And the first one we're doing is social network because working with Chris Ryan, is like dating a stone raster. <laughs> Here you go. Here you go. I don't know, wait. How do you manage to get all girls to hate us? I think I've come up with something. That
2: looks good, that looks really good. Welcome to Facebook. You made the Facebook.
0: Yeah, groupies. This is our time. Being accused of breaching security. Stole our website. Violating individual privacy.
2: Let's gut the nerd. Doesn't anybody have a sense of humor?
0: The Social Network. rigged PG-13. All right, 20 episodes. We have carefully picked these movies. We wanted some consistency. People like the rewatchable. Sean is here. Chris Ryan is here. Bill! We're back. Um... <sighs> I don't know who Eduardo is out of the three of us. Not me. We'll find out. (laughs) Because we'll find out uh, by the end of this class. I'm a classic Dustin, you know?
1: You're kind of teal-esque, I would say. (laughs) Oh, man. Teal.
0: (laughs) Uh, We've been circling this because the Zuckerberg stuff was really heating up. And The Social Network, which is a movie that the three of us really truly loved, has now taken on a different context. Yes. As Facebook became um, one of the most powerful media forces we've ever had that it actually affected the election. It is a dominant um, force for us for content, almost like the NBA playoffs. We write about it and (laughs) it changes and it ebbs and it flows. So when this movie was made in 2010, Facebook had 500 million users and a valuation of 25 billion. I don't know what the valuation is now, but it's a lot more than that. Significantly more. It's like 250, 300 billion. And they have to have like- They probably have 10 times as much as anything. Um, Facebook, it's bigger than we ever imagined. It's scarier than we ever imagined. It's more potent than we ever imagined. Has this affected how you watch this movie in 2018?
1: I'll tell you what, this is going to be probably unique among rewatchables movies in that if we had done this three months ago, I think it would have been a different podcast. But to rewatch this this weekend even, um, not only to see the stuff that has hints of the Cambridge Analytica scandal Mm. and all the privacy stuff that we will obviously talk about in this, but also the articulation of a certain kind of like internet behavior that I think has probably become really prevalent. And we're starting to really pathologize in terms of people's like just doing things for reaction, just doing things to stir things up, not really caring about the impact it has on other people and just sort of doing it to conjure up, to elicit a reaction. And also the, con- the conflict between uh, Eduardo and Mark that I didn't really notice the first few times around about Eduardo's desire to monetize Facebook, to make it an advertising platform. And we know how that eventually ended, that battle en- ended up, even though Eduardo wasn't on the other side when, when they eventually started making Facebook what it is today, which is the largest
0: advertising platform in the world. And you left out the Me Too aspect of Sure. This, where this whole thing starts because he's pissed off at his girlfriend and goes home. And creates this whole app to rate women against each other and just basically demean women, and that leads to Facebook.
2: Yeah, it's predicated upon trolling, it's like a sexual indecency, and the fact that they withheld their ability to make money for a long time, which then led to them becoming more powerful than we ever could have guessed. It's cra- It's really strange to watch it now. Right, I
1: mean, even if you allow for great uh, liberties in terms of the accuracy, I think as a, if you just look at it as a parable, it has been proven to be true this movie, you know what I mean? Like it it may or may not have the, the inciting incident of Facebook may or may not have been a breakup, but I think that a lot of the
0: truths in this movie have, have proven themselves out, you know? Well, there's a whole conversation we need to have about whether it matters that this is a movie that has now become people watching. They think this is what happened with Facebook and it's so far from what happened with Facebook. And there's a lot of, was this true? Was that not true? But there's a lot of stuff that we just know isn't true. Mm -hmm in this movie? And does that matter?
1: Not, not, not one bit. Does it matter
0: for you fantasy?
2: I think it matters if we use this as a historical record and a lot of people do. Well, I think
0: that's what's happened with all the president's men. Yes. Which Um, is a movie that in real life was completely different than the actual movie. But now I feel like that was Watergate.
2: Yeah. And I think in fairness to this movie in particular, Aaron Sorkin was always very straightforward about the fact that he was never a user of Facebook and didn't ultimately really understand it. It seemed like he really clicked with the Ben Mesrich novel that the that the story is based on. Yeah. And then he spun that up into something a little bit more grand in his own. And those guys were writing writing
1: their pieces contemporaneously so that they basically were trading notes, but essentially
0: were drawing from some of the same research. Yeah. Did, did uh, when this movie was coming out and you saw they're making it off the Ben Mesrick novel, and then you find out Sorkin's attached and Fincher's attached. What are your expectations at that point? 2010 Miami heat. I
2: mean, it's an insane collision of things I'm interested in. like uh, yeah. I, I remember specifically going to an early screening of a movie that Aaron Sorkin hosted. And then he did a long Q and a afterwards. And I saw the movie with my wife and she could not give less of a shit about Aaron Sorkin. And I was wrapped afterwards. Like the movie ended, I raised both arms. So I was like, yes, <laughs> we have made one. Yeah. And then we watched the Q and a and I was totally enthralled and really fascinated And I really did. It came like it delivered. This movie really does deliver on what your expectations are. And that's very rare movies of the last 10 years.
1: And behind and in front of the camera, like you hear the story of the making of this movie is very much like Sorkin wrote a script nominally based on a book that hadn't been published yet. Fincher got the script on a Friday, read it on a Saturday. The movie was like a go movie on a Monday. It's Amy Pascal producing it with a Scott Rudin. Like they got the cast together. There's not a lot of casting. What ifs, or they almost did this, but didn't do that. It was like, they got the people they wanted to be in it. They figured out how to make it. And it is largely, uh, the script. I mean, they shot the script and this is, I think so many different people at the top of their, not even like the top of their games, like the top of their potential. It's kind of astonishing to watch. Yeah, Uh,
0: 162-page screenplay. Sorkin won for Best Adapted. It's been eight years. King's Speech just did really well in that Oscars. It sure did. Eight years later, we're looking at King's Speech won Best Picture, Tom Hooper Best Director, Colin Firth Best Actor over... uh, Over Eisenberg, who Eisenberg gets better each year with this movie. And in about 10 years, it's going to be unacceptable that he didn't win the Oscar.
2: (laughs) Hooper over Fincher is a
0: sin. A sin. Yeah, it's awful.
2: I mean, Tom Hooper, who has gone on to nothing meaningful, as far as I'm concerned. And David Fincher, who's one of the... 10 most important filmmakers last 20 years. That's brutal. This is also last 35
1: social network is the crown me movie. It's there's everything about it is like, just give me the frigging award. Like I made a movie that's about today. That is a, that has humor and entertainment and thrills, but is completely grounded in this human drama. It's a Hollywood movie. Give me the award. I think it might be the one of maybe the two or three last great, prestige,
2: mainstream movie studio movies with a real budget and real stars and a real star director and a star screenwriter that we've had. I mean, there are very few examples of it in the last 10 years that, that go beyond this.
0: And it's weird that all the president's men cleaned up and this didn't because it was basically the same type of movie for its decade about something that was really important in the moment. And I'm not sure what happened. I think this was after they expanded the categories.
2: I think there's a dark truth to it, which is that the power of Harvey Weinstein was still strong with the King Speech. I mean, he still yeah. wasn't. He was still yeah. was an incredible negotiator um, inside the Academy at that time, and that was kind of one of his final final acts when he was still had that, all that power.
0: King's Speech was fine. It's okay. I'll never watch it again. Yeah, I enjoyed the screener. I remember I watched it, but I remember it in the moment, and I probably even have a podcast back there on the old BS Report of just being kind of astonished that this didn't do better. Yeah. And that sort, the Sorkin thing was basically the consolation prize. It did really well as a movie, it made uh, two twenty five worldwide. Sean ninety six on Rotten Tomatoes. Don't care. I know you don't. It means care. nothing. Um, and now we're almost at the end of the decade here. Mm-hmm. We got does two thousand twenty count? It counts for next decade. Yep. A year and a half left here. Yeah. Was this the best movie of the decade?
2: Ooh, that's a tough one. It's in the conversation. It's in
1: the conversation I think that it definitely has brought on a new weight in the last year and I, I re-watching it I was just, I was just really blown away there there are a couple of critical quotes out there about decade defining movie and I think that was a little bit premature when those qu- quotes were thrown out there but I definitely think there's an argument for it at this I point. I think
0: when you talk when I think about decade defining movies I think about movies that meant one thing when they came out mm-hmm. and were awesome and respected. And then as time unfolds, other meanings start coming in, and it kind of evolves. And you've even seen that. All the President's Men, which was really one of my 20 favorite movies ever, and was 20 years ago. And now these last three years has taken on a completely different meaning when you watch it. Yep. Um, I think that's going to happen with this movie. We don't know what's going to happen with Facebook, and we don't know- there might be five more terrible stories coming.
2: I think, even in spite of Sorkin's skepticism about this whole enterprise, Fincher having like one of the darkest cores of any filmmaker of all time, and the fact that this is still a pretty serious and dour story, it still doesn't really totally get to the dark heart of Facebook. I mean, at the, when you when the movie ends, you don't feel like, well, this is the the mammoth. Media evolution that is going to change the way we live. It's a story. It's a success story. Well, but
0: I don't think any of us saw that in 2010.
2: No, that's what I'm saying. I mean, it's, it basically, basically becomes, we,
0: we had the MySpace shadow still a little bit there. Where right. it's like, yeah, who knows? This, this could this break, break away in five yes. years.
2: And also, I think you're meant to have maybe not sympathy for Mark Zuckerberg, but you're meant to think about him as a human being at the end. That he's like a lonely, sad boy who, who let one get away because of his own ego and his own ambition and his own inability to see beyond himself. I I don't think that that's really the takeaway of this movie at all anymore.
1: Yeah, I think that there's an interesting conversation that happens, especially between Sean Sean Parker and Mark throughout, and Eduardo throughout the movie about it's it's cool, and that's what it has going for it, and you can't put a price on that. And I think for all the things Facebook has become, it's decidedly not cool anymore. So it's interesting to look
0: at it as this time capsule for when it felt like a really new, fresh thing. Well, and also when... A billion dollars really seemed like a big thing. Now yes. with That that word gets thrown around with sports franchises, uh, tech companies, all this stuff. A billion dollars. I don't know if that, I think if they made that movie now, I think that line's a little bit different. Yeah, <laughs> He'd be like, what if it's worth a hundred billion dollars? Right. A billion dollars, it would, would like bounce off Mark Zuckerberg in 2018. But I think the essence of the movie is essentially about I mean, there's
1: a lot of different, you know, it's about the American dream and it's about class consciousness and it's about uh, ambition, but it's ultimately that this thing that was ostensibly supposed to bring people together was made by someone who had incredible social issues and in fact, probably didn't like people very much and was not able to in his real life have friends and that he created this thing that on the surface was supposed to bring us all closer together but was driven by these sort of deep-seated emotions that were actually hostile towards humanity and hostile towards people's integrity and people's privacy and people's, you know, reputations. And that is actually bearing itself out. And that is, I think, an unintentional piece of wisdom from the movie. Well, and it's also not
0: what actually happened, it doesn't seem like. Yeah, but I kind of sometimes like to print the legend. It's (laughs) almost like Sorkin's vision of what happened became the vision of what's actually happening. But in real life, Zuckerberg, there's a story about how he took his staff to see it and was almost like amused by how off it was. But he was like, "They did not get how I dressed? That was how I dressed back then. But he's basically like, I didn't start Facebook because of a girl. I started because I like building stuff. And I was, I like coding and I was home on a whatever night and all this other stuff. Now that Rooney Marisine is iconic at the beginning and that didn't happen. And that person probably doesn't exist.
2: Yeah, I mean it's plausible that he had a girlfriend in college and that there was some measure of truth to it but that it wasn't the driving force that it wasn't, it wasn't the, a, he had a bad day, and she dumped him he went home and was like I'm yeah yeah, yeah right yeah and I think the thing that's interesting, though, and the thing that makes me a little dubious of his denials is the fact that he has spent the last eight years working very hard to make it clear that he isn't that guy, that he's friendly, that he's a family man, that he's a husband, that he's a considerate CEO and he's leader. He's an alien. By but, all accounts, he
1: was trying to, he was going to run for president right. before this Until, happened. Yeah, you yeah. Know? yes. <laughs> well, and then the
0: Not other that thing- the dad would disqualify him at this point, good but still. Point. <laughs> I remember a criticism of this movie when it came out that it was too hard on Zuckerberg. Uh-huh. Yes. That he's a kid, man. He was in college and he just like, What were you like when you were in college? Didn't you make mistakes? This movie makes him out to be a villain. They went too far. Well, and now you're watching and you go, Eh, they didn't go far enough.
2: One of the criticisms of that company in the last three or four years, and particularly in the last nine months, has just been that. These people just really didn't understand truly how powerful the tool they had built was. Yeah. And you get that sense even in this movie that there's something growing. Even when he's this sort of snarling, sniveling kid across the table from somebody who's negotiating for the future of his company, you don't totally get the sense that they're thinking about owning the future of the world. They're thinking about owning the future of this company they built. And there's or a big difference. this idea that
0: was worth a lot of money. Yeah. Yeah.
2: And now we have to see it in a different way.
0: I do think the Sean Parker stuff about him seeing it and realizing the potential immediately and realizing it was a big deal. I think that's probably the most accurate part of the movie. Feels true. They definitely, they cut out Dustin Moskovitz pretty much completely. Yeah. And in real life, I think he was a much bigger part of the whole process. And people say that uh, Eduardo Saverin who's the Andrew Garfield character, that he wasn't that big of a part Mm -hmm. of the process and that they used this movie to basically be, to pit those two against each other. And you bring in the Winklevoss twins- and the reality with the Winklevoss twins, which I guess we can talk about later, but um, they had this idea that was basically MySpace for Harvard. And Zuckerberg was probably thinking of a similar idea, made believe with these guys that he was going to go down the road with this idea, but was really developing his own idea because he wanted to beat them to the punch. Yeah, And this movie made it seem like, did he steal it from them? What happened? And, I don't think in real life that's really how it played well, it out. Well, that's
1: another collision that happens in the movie is the embryonic Silicon Valley ethic versus sort of the old old money ethics of the Ivy League class. Right, yeah.
0: which is another, but is an also awesome unintended consequence sure. of this movie. Yeah. Because when this comes out in 2010, we don't, Silicon Valley really hasn't blown up. Like I, I would say probably 2000, it was blown up, but not in the way of like 2012, 2013, where you knew- a hundred of these guys' names. Yeah, I don't think the Masters of the Universe thing is part of it It wasn't like, oh, this is where the future of America is going to be in this section right here. Mm -hmm. I don't remember feeling that way. Well, it had
2: been in the 90s, and then you have a series of booms and busts, and when those busts go away, these things kind of dip in the popular consciousness. I mean, for me, Facebook's an interesting thing. Facebook essentially officially launched my senior year of college and I wasn't on it. I didn't even join it, I don't think, until 2006. But I remember it becoming a wave among young people and especially my siblings, where it was a really powerful dynamic. And I don't think they ever thought of it as Silicon Valley. You know, it wasn't the product of uh, an industrial force in a specific part of the world. It was like This is just something that came across my transom and I want to be a part of it.
0: Well, we certainly didn't at Grantland really care about Facebook till the last year. Remember, like 2014 was when we really started to think about, I remember I went there, I think in 2012 and then 2013 and they were like, you should push your columns on Facebook. You could grow your audience. And I'm thinking like, this is a site that people, they look up their ex-girlfriends and post pictures of their kids. Like, yeah. why would this help my column? It had I just didn't really for see years. it. Yeah. And then by 2014, we could see in the Grand traffic the Facebook referrals. Like, it was different, but that was four years after this movie.
2: I think we were always a little bit allergic to the kind of dialogue you'd find there too. Like, I, didn't, I think yeah. we didn't always feel great about the way that people talked about stuff there. And that is particularly resonant Yeah, in 2012,
1: I think that you were, Coming off of birther stuff, so that was starting to mm. show up in Facebook. Like the really, I mean, oh, it's not like 08 was a cakewalk, but it was like twelve. I remember being the real toxic stuff starting to happen about Obama and the yeah. political dialogue really turning into this like two two aliens talking to each other kind of level of of discourse. So, yeah, and, I think and we that,
0: were pretty with BuzzFeed, which was the first one to really exploit Facebook. And I think BuzzFeed has has gotten a lot better and they have some really good writers and editors, a couple of whom we've hired. But early in the stage of Grantland, it was just we looked at them as oh, that's the place where it's twenty three great pictures of your dog. Yeah. And they were gaming the system in a way that none of us really respected. Then they eventually um but that was Facebook for a couple of years after this movie. Uh coming up, we're gonna bang through all the categories. And uh there's there's some good ones that I'm excited about. A couple of that, I don't actually know who's going to win. Give us one second.
1: Hey, everybody. While we have your attention, let me just tell you a little bit about what's going on on the Ringer Podcast Network. Specifically, the Channel 33 pop culture feed is popping. We've got a lot of great stuff on there. You've got Sean Fennessy interviewing some of the biggest names uh, behind the camera in the movie industry on the big picture. You've got David Shoemaker and Brian Curtis talking every week about the major national affairs and media stories on the Press Box. And you've got Juliette Littman and Amanda Dobbins breaking down everything that undergirds our celebrity gossip industry with Jam Session. Plus, take a look at all the latest cultural controversies with Damage Control, hosted by Justin Charity and Kate Nibbs. And before I let you go, please subscribe and check out our new music podcast. It's called On Shuffle. It's hosted by Micah Peters and it is phenomenal. This week's episode looks at Meek Mill. The first episode talked about Post Malone. There's some Janet Jackson stuff in this new episode that I love. So uh, every week, our music podcast, On Shuffle, hosted by Micah Peters. Please subscribe.
0: All right, we're back. We're going to bang through the categories. This is a rewatchables tradition. If you go on the feed, how many have we done now? Like 40? Thirty-five. I bet it's around there. Yeah. The best if one's Miami the, Vice. The, I don't know what the second one is. <laughs> the worst episode is Miami Vice. Miami Vice was incredible. Still get emails about it. Yeah. From from who? From Chris. Well, Miami you know, Vice. <laughs> Miami Vice is the peach of
1: uh, of like if 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 all the rewatchables pods are social networks, Miami Vice is peach. It was like so short life. No one cared about it.
0: <laughs> well, what's that thing with with actors? One for me, one for you. Yeah. For Chris, it was like 20 for you, one for me. And that was my advice. Congratulations. Yeah. And then 20, 20 episodes from now, we'll get to do another one. Yeah, we'll do. And it'll be proof of life. We'll We've do, do black, hat. Hat. <laughs> <laughs> black Hat. Director's cut. Uh, all right, categories. Most rewatchable scene. I only have four contenders, but feel free to add some. But I, I wanted to narrow this one down because I, I think there are four superior scenes. There might be a fifth or a sixth, you guys tell me. But uh, the opening scene is incredible.
2: You mentioned that the script is 162 pages, but the runtime is only 120 minutes. In most movies, it's a page a minute. In this movie, it's compressed because they're talking
0: fast. Sorkin
1: style. So you know how they arrived at that, right? uh, Fincher said, I'm going to do it. Get Sorkin to come to his house or meet Sorkin. And he's like, I'm going to get out my iPhone. We're going to do stopwatch for every scene. And you read the script as fast as you hear it in your head. And he gets his, he does the cumulative runtime. And then when they brought the actors in, they would run scenes and Sorkin would be, and Fincher would go up to Eisenberg and Rooney Mara and they would do a scene in like seven minutes and 45 seconds. And he was like, great, here's one note. Here's another note. By the way, this needs to be 40 seconds faster because the ideal version of this is seven, is this. And it was just like, go again, go faster, go faster. If you think you're going too fast, it's not fast enough. I'm fascinated by
0: that Movie process. Movie
2: by stopwatch. It's amazing. Yeah.
0: Ninety nine takes, legendary. One oh, hundred ninety nine. Oh, can you imagine ninety nine takes? What a flex!
2: I, I mean, I, yeah, I can, I can imagine. I can imagine being exhausted. It's interesting when there are some actors who come out and they talk about what they went through when they're working on a movie. Jake Gyllenhaal famously went through. A, he had a tough time on Zodiac with Fincher. Yeah. yeah.
0: And he kind of broke, kind of made him like brain damage, Jake did. Gyllenhaal he, by the way. She changed him. Yeah.
2: And you don't get that impression from Eisenberg. It's like, it's a really a testament Neither to how them. perfect Eisenberg is for this movie. Rooney Mara, too, but Eisenberg throughout the whole movie is just, he's just a metronome. He's just on it. He knows exactly where to go and how to go there.
1: So but, I would say that across the board, the coolest thing about this movie is that it's the perfect writer and director at the perfect times in their careers, completely match for each other. And they, unbelievably find a cast who's like, sure, I can talk that fast. Yeah, Like I'll, and I'll do 90 takes of it if you want. Like there, there's not enough yeah, ego know, like, there the yet. Toby Maguire. Yeah. To be like, Hey man, fuck
0: that. 99 <laughs> takes. I mean, we'll talk, Toby McGuire. Of, we'll
2: talk about a lot of We'll talk about a lot about other people, but like, that's also true for motor mouth, Justin Timberlake. It's also true for Andrew Garfield, who we barely knew anything about. Like all these people were so well suited to this.
0: Yeah. All right. So that was one of them. I think the crew scene is incredible. Every time it's on cable, I'm like, I'm just in for this all the way through the music and the way they film it. And then right to the thing where they meet uh, they meet Prince, Prince Albert and <laughs> somebody mentions Facebook and they're on a computer and they all decide we're fucking doing this. We're suing them. It's just a great eight minutes. The Henley Royal Regatta. It's great. It's just great. It's a really, one thing I judge movies by <laughs> is like, if I can see in my head, certain images of it. And this one has a lot of like, you know, even in the beginning you see- Eisenberg walking through this fake Harvard campus and even like then music and just a lot of those moments where you're like oh that's in my head oh that's in my head oh that's over there
2: that scene in particular is a real even though this is basically a chamber drama with people talking in rooms it's Fincher being like don't forget, I'm David Fincher. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah, yeah. I know I'm how really to shoot this. this race.
1: Yeah, remember when I went under the door in Panic Room? Like, I can always do this. Yeah.
0: So, the third one I have is the first Justin Timberlake Dakota Johnson scene, which is taking <laughs> out a new life. Yeah. That scene's just really good and it should be terrible. And it's like you meet Sean Parker, you get all this information about him, you get a feel for the character, you get a feel for where Facebook is, it advances it along. She's hot in it. Yep. And it's just like, it's just good. And exactly like Napster. It's the, <laughs> and it's the only time he really feels like a movie star, really, in his whole career is in that scene. So, what do you do? <sighs> I'm an entrepreneur. You're unemployed. I wouldn't say that. What would you say? That I'm an entrepreneur. Well, then, what was your latest preneur? Well, I founded an internet company that let folks download and share music for free. Kind of like Napster?
1: Exactly like Napster.
0: What do you mean? I founded Napster. Sean Parker founded Napster. Nice to meet. You. I even I have issues with him throughout this movie, but in that scene, it's like that dude's a movie star. Also, just like ingenious, like the fact that you have one
1: of the last major label pop stars in some ways—that was the major labels before Napster came along and changed the music industry—and he's playing someone who was obviously did Napster, but yeah. then is also like. This guy never made it because the majors came along and wiped Napster out eventually. Like the levels of irony to the casting
0: and performance are pretty rich. Big, big, big star coming off the 06-07 stretch with his album and yeah. um, the SNL and all that. And they were catching him as like an A plus lister.
2: It does something interesting too. It's essentially beats Game of Thrones to the sex position punch. By like two or three years where, I mean, that scene, if you rewatch it, is basically just an excuse for Sean Parker to explain who he is. Also, the likelihood, I think, of a woman knowing, Not knowing who that. Sean Parker is, but also identifying him as the founder of Napster rather than Sean Fanning, who was the much more well-known yeah. founder of Napster, is a little bit of movie BS. A little bit of like, I know that she, the, I believe Dakota Johnson's character goes to Stanford, but even still... It's a little like, okay, this is just an excuse to just put Sean
1: Parker's resume on screen. Yeah. yeah, it's great. Also, who goes to Stanford to study French? Uh, good, 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 really good call.
0: Oh, that's a great one. Yeah. Yeah. So that, you can said that for the pick and knit section. <laughs> Last one, uh, Eduardo finding out he got screwed. That's that. You set
1: me up. You're going to blame me because you were the business head of the company and you made a bad business deal with your own company. It's going to be like, I'm not a part of Facebook. It won't be like you're not a part of Facebook. You're not a part of Facebook. My name's on the masthead. You might want to check again. It's because I froze the account? You think we were gonna let you parade around in your ridiculous suits pretending you were running the screen? My is and the cleaners! Along with my hoodie and my fuck you flip-flops! You pretentious mm-hmm. douchebag! Security's here, you'll be leaving now? I'm not signing those papers. We will get the signature.
0: It's diluted. And coming it's coming out the, and breaking the computer and threatening to push Justin Timberlake. He's wired in. All that are there any other scenes you would have thrown in there?
1: Um, I actually am a huge fan of the Larry Summers scene.
2: I think the my candidate would probably be the cutting between the final club party mixed with him essentially creating Facebook, too, is like an interesting TikTok of showing mm. the two different versions of life on the Harvard campus, what it means to have access to power versus what it means to create power. Like there's a really cool filmmaking in those two things, too. So it also just like it makes a movie about building code seem like a bank heist. Yeah. You know, like that's a pretty cool trick that they pull.
0: Michael Mann couldn't do it in black hat. True it's really story. tough. You get people in front of computers. Hard to make that good. The track record's like one out of every 12. Yeah. I love when-, when It's
2: hard. Eduardo comes into the room and starts drawing the algorithm on the window. You know, there's just like great- Who knows if he actually drew yeah,
1: anything on a window. Cutting like, back and forth between the Phoenix party yeah. or the Purcellian or whatever it is. Yeah.
0: I think the answer is the first scene, personally. But I'm happy that we can split, I think we that can there's, split this one. There's
1: an emotional hit when the- How much was his shares diluted- how much was his shares diluted? How much were your shares diluted? I was your only friend. And then yeah, you... that is actually the best drop of the, the Atticus and Trent score is as it starts with the fuzzy strings and then the dun, 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 as it kind of like reveals what just happened. And uh, it's it's the best Garfield is in the movie. It's so great to watch him come out of those glass doors, you know, and start pacing down the hallways. That I, I rewatched that just for... Just for like motivation sometimes.
0: You know why I love the opening scene more than anything? Why? I really love that version of Bruni Mara and I wish we could have her back. I mean, I she never left for me. Her IMDB got super weird after that. And she just every movie she makes is
1: She's probably already cast in Dragon Tattoo by the time she does this, or no? I don't think so. I think this role is
2: what convinced Fincher that she was right for Dragon Tattoo. Can you imagine
1: like what it was like at Craft Services? Like,
0: so you're busy next year.
2: <laughs> like, got, she, got she commits. Old, yeah. I'm, I'm on the record Mara, about make, this though. Make
0: a make a rom com. Do some do, nah, do something I'm,
2: easy. I'm Team Kate. Been Team Kate for years. I'm staying on. Team I'm Team Kate.
0: Rooney. I'm dying for them to do the Netflix show where their sisters who are both actresses, but one of them hates the other oh, and. Like the 10-episode <laughs> psychological drama of two sisters. Oh, a single like, like so, a kind of
1: Hitchcockian thing. Yeah. yeah,
0: they're just one's jealous of the other, and the other's doing slightly mm-hmm. better. And, and she has to... The be, the best version of this, which doesn't get credit for it, is Sex, Lies, and Videotape, which is really about these two sisters, and the less successful one is fucking the Andy McDowell's husband. Yes. But I love when sisters get... I Laura
2: Sanjicoma. Yeah,
0: an incredible performance Beautiful. by her. I love when sisters get uh, all the complicated shit, the baggage that they have. Also, great, I, not explored. R.I.P.
2: Margot Kidder. That's what she does in Sisters, the De Palma movie from the seventies oh, too. They should, re- they should remake that movie.
0: Legend. I'm ready for a Margot Kidder documentary. All right, I'll, I'll defer to the group and do Eduardo finding out he got screwed. Oh, success. Well, I was going to say this question. I was going yeah, to save this question for later, but was Eduardo asking for it? I mean.
1: That whole the part where he's just like uh, to be completely honest, I thought they were my lawyers. I guess how closely have you guys tracked what's happened to Eduardo since he he's, got paid out? He was in
0: Florida for a minute. He owns five percent of Facebook, and he's like the third richest guy in Brazil. Yeah, he fled and arguably the he was States. the guy that they stole from in Fast and Furious Five.
1: Fast
2: <laughs> Five it might have been Eduardo Saverin. There's some there's some rumor that he you know fled to a tax shelter and has been doing some things that are maybe a little bit. Um, less than legal around oh, the world Eddie. since on, he left. So uh, this is a very sympathetic portrait of like a hardworking, hustling, entrepreneurial young kid. Yeah, and
0: it, the, his reputation in the world
2: is a little bit different now.
0: Hmm. Well, he's there was NDAs galore, so we'll never really find out That's what true. happened. But it really did seem like at some point you're just a jackass. You're like hustling for these internships in New York City and Facebook, and you know that Sean Parker is trying to steal it from you from the moment he orders apple teenies for everybody and. Uh, anyway, what's age the best? Uh, I would throw in all four of the things we just mentioned into this, as well as um, the opening scene into the credits. Yeah. Going from that to Zuckerberg just walking through fake Harvard. Fake Harvard.
1: Yeah, Not it's real Baltimore, Harvard. right? Yeah, it's Johns Hopkins. Johns Hopkins, yeah. Though there's a great bit where um, – they were talking about how uh, uncooperative Harvard was with the shooting of this, and, and yeah. then some one of the uh, like iTunes extras on the, on the um for the movie, and uh, Fincher apparently to get one shot of the arches had a mime walk through the arches with a battery pack with a light on it so that he could get one shot from across the street of like the courtyard. Wow. Yeah. That's commitment. Which
0: is crazy because this is the same school that greenlit with Honors with Brendan Fraser <laughs> and Joe Pesci. <laughs> maybe that's what led maybe to this. Yeah, right they are like, let's. Hey, I mean, wrap a little it up. bird from With Honors. <laughs> uh, what also is aged the best? The deposition scenes work way better than they should. Absolutely. I have no idea why those work so well. Everybody, all the actors. Underrated John guys, Getz performance. Yeah.
2: Really good John Getz as one of the lawyers.
0: John Getz just right facial expressions at all times. He's Everybody's perfect. good. I'm not positive I liked Rashida Jones in this movie, but even she's good.
2: I don't I feel bad because that's a really underwritten character that I don't yeah. understand. You it's know? like
0: let's throw let's throw some sort of famous female in their 20s and we'll just give her some lines, but it's not really fleshed out. It's
2: one of the laziest parts of it. I mean, you know, there's a whole conversation, Chris and I have had it before, about the problem of female characters and everything Sorkin does. You know, it's it's, it's just not one of his strengths. Uh,
0: The army Hammer CGI. We take CGI for granted now in 2018 where we could fake anything, but this was pretty groundbreaking in 2010. I remember finding out that there was a different actor and they just put her on me and being like, what, how did they do that? And reading everything for three days. This was really the most successful CGI to date. I feel did like. Did
2: you know that it was happening before you saw the movie? I didn't. Yeah, I, I found out th- after either. me too. Did
1: you know? I, I, oh, no, the, I was like, I just don't remember being completely astonished. I did the it.
0: thing where I, I intentionally didn't read anything and went and then read everything after. Yep. Which I, I, this was the decade of when I really started to do the movies and I was completely blown away. I had no idea. Never hinted at it. Never occurred to me. And uh, that if you was would have asked cool. me
2: before this movie came out, who's going to have the bigger career, Max Minghella or Army Hammer? I would have said Max Minghella a hundred out of a hundred times. He's very good. Oh, in this yeah, good in this movie. He'd been in a bunch of stuff. I'd never heard of Army Hammer. It's funny how that had worked out, though. How Army's really become such a force.
0: You want to do it, Chris? Go ahead. What? The I'm six foot five line. Oh, it's like I'm six foot six, two hundred and twenty pounds, and there are two of me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what am I afraid of? And then finally the music, Trent Reznor, Atticus Ross. I think we throw the word iconic around too Score much. Score of the but decade, this by, is by far an iconic soundtrack.
1: And music supervision and the placement of songs and TV shows and, and movies has become so prevalent now that every movie feels like a Martin Scorsese movie, including Martin Scorsese movies, which are are completely chock full of songs. Like they <laughs> would just usually much, by the Rolling Stones. They would just much rather play like thirteen songs that you know to kind of give you a sense. And this is such a timeless score. It has echoes of like new wave, new order type synth pop, this ambient, almost like. A little joy division. Yeah, like, and a little like, it, it, you know, downtown 80s New York art music and then also just like that classical piano figure that that immediately sets you in every scene and ties the movie together. It's,
2: it's pure Trent Reznor. Shout out to Robert Mays. It's like, it is beauty and anxiety colliding. Yeah. That's what all Nine Inch Nails songs are about. They're about like, pain and awkwardness and also like I know how to write the most incredible melodies in the world and him doing it as film score is so smart it was one of the all-time great pivots for an artist entering his like midlife like he's just so good at it
0: I'd like to revoke your shout out to Robert Mace what because he lives in Chicago and he should live in LA and if he lived in LA he would be the fourth person in this podcast true and he would get through a whole Trent Reznor monologue but hey he fell in love. He gets up at six <laughs> in the morning to do Soul Cycle with his girlfriend, and he gets to go to Cubs games. That's great. But here's what you lose, Maze. You lose the Trent and Reznor monologue we would have given you right here. I should also mention, this is a soundtrack that only belongs to the movie. Yes. You can't crank it. If you came over to my house and what are you listening to? I'm listening to the Social Network soundtrack. True
2: story. It is one of my go-to, I'm having a really hard time with this edit, and it's one o'clock in the morning soundtracks for me, though, when I'm like wow. in a 7,000-word story that I hate Shout out to all of our writers. Do you
0: just walk through Sunset Gower like Jesse Eisenberg? A, a little bit.
2: I mean, I have that look on my face for sure, but it does, it has a weirdly calming, but also like mm. pushing effect, like fucking finish this thing. Can I uh,
1: just say that the number one use of this score is in the social network. The number two use is in your office when you're pushing through on an editor. The number three use <laughs> is when Steven Soderbergh did a black and white silent cut of Raiders of the Lost Ark and scored it with the social network score. What? He just put it up on his website. Really? Yeah, just for like, let's see what this looks like. So and he was weird. like, it was an example of Raiders is so good, you don't need dialogue. And he just scored it with the social network.
0: That's amazing. Yeah. Um, The thing that bums me out, and I'm going to put this in, we're about to do what's Say, oh, we got to figure out what age is the best. But the thing that bums me out about the soundtrack is at some point, some shitty car company or tech company or beer company is going to overpay everybody and use that social network thing and we're going to hear it for a year and if every time it shows, like, shows up in a beer that's a social network if that shows up at a beer ad, i'm going to kind of sacred nobody should go near it but it's i know it's going to happen it's, it, it has to
2: it would just completely misunderstand the point of that score too like if you put that in a car commercial it's just like it doesn't make <laughs> sense
0: trent Reznor is actually crazy enough and convicted enough that he would turn down money and it would actually mean something for him not to do that
2: i'll bet he has I'll bet – also, I'm sure somebody's wanted, like, Nine Inch Nails is closer to, you know, be a Hooters commercial. And he's been like, no, under no circumstances. <laughs> so, I, I, I trust Trent.
0: Incredible use of closer in that ER episode where yeah. the that stabbed everybody. Yeah. Remember that? Yes. Uh, what's aged the best,
1: Chris? I'm going to go uh, Winklevoss's just because ordinarily what we would say is, what a great movie, but with the special effects have aged so poorly. And this is like a really groundbreaking digital cinematography movie. And I think that the fact that they were able to pull this off and, you know, in 10 years later or however long later, almost 10 years later,
0: we're still like, I buy that. I buy that there are twins there. And it's actually crucial because if they fucked it up, and even if it had been three years earlier, it probably taints the movie a little bit. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, that's weird. Oh, I could see that was the other guy in that scene. and But it's so seamless. What do you think, Sean? I have one write-in vote. Okay, let's hear it which is right? In votes are always allowed. Wh-
2: how much we should have been trusting the Peter Thiel character in the movie in the first place when he comes on as an investor. Wallace then, Langham, right? And then Wallace Langham. I from actually Larry had Sanders that in Show. what's aged the worst. Yeah. Well, Peter Thiel. I mean, it has kind of aged the best though, right? Cause it is indicative of kind of the future of Silicon Valley and a lot of the yeah. choices that he made. And the minute that, that, that Parker brings that character into the movie, it's curtains for Eduardo. And you know, that is born out to be true in a lot of
0: ways. Mm. I think the CGI also aged the best just because I'm so impressed that it's been eight years and, you know, CGI is really good now. It is. We're hitting a point where we're going to be able to go back and, like, take Al Pacino from The Godfather and do a 10 episode. Netflix series. About they're the doing Godfather. it. The
2: Irishman is young Bob De Niro, young Scor- uh, young Joe Pesci, and young Al Pacino. But, but at
0: least that's new content. I'm saying they're right. about to go back and really oh, and disgrace yeah, star some of populating. the things that we love.
2: I bet Star Wars is like five years for that. I mean, we saw it with yeah. Grand Moff Tarkin, right? Then yeah. we get in that Rogue in, One. in Rogue One. Yeah.
0: What's age the worst? Eisenberg Zuckerberg impersonation, impression, slash character... Now that we have this whole kind of thing with Zuck, we've seen him in all these situations, and he's so fucking weird and alien-like and awkward. That's only in public performance, though. Oh, I like this. Okay, good.
2: I think it's like the Phil Hartman-Reagan sketch. Great. When everybody leaves the room, he just turns into a killer. He turns into
0: the guy from- the snarling guy from the depositions. Exactly. I think I that hope there, you're right.
2: there is subtext there because you can't get this powerful and this successful without that hard, deep edge. And I, I'm I mean, sure I'm he'll
1: improve. <laughs> I think it's just a really big missed opportunity for all the Senate hearings that he's participating in for him not to have turned to like. Patrick Leahy at one of these points and just been like, you have part of my
0: attention. You have the (laughs) minimum (laughs) amount of of attention. (laughs) It's raining right now. Uh, Zuck having a Zuck on it message board. Has not aged well.
2: No, that's not good. Message
0: boards were a tough hang, though. Like that—that <laughs> that was pretty
2: accurate. Everybody's got a lot of takes about Reddit, but it's like we were there. Yeah, twenty, Try hanging 20 out years ago. Reddit was elaborate
0: <laughs> compared to the other stuff. Uh, Zuck ranking girls with a hotter net type app in two thousand three has not aged well. It, it wasn't. It wasn't good
2: at the time. No, at no. the time it was like, come on. But dude. it was
0: the era of Tucker Max. It was. And it was all that stuff, so it, it didn't seem totally out of place. Peter Tale we mentioned. Yep eduardo's girlfriend setting his hotel bed on fire still haven't totally the gotten the plot line for that. Isn't,
2: is, is is weird completely fictional
0: yeah yeah it doesn't really also serve don't know why the story. we need it yeah I, it didn't really add anything it goes back
2: to the sorkin women it's he, there's something just wrong there and you got to kind of be honest it provides about it. Like,
1: one good line which is zuckerberg being like but it must be it's still great to have a girlfriend right like when he's just yeah, like, that, that she's mean. crazy. She's, you know, paranoid.
0: She's driving me crazy. It's cr- just weird. I love to hear the explanation. I, there's, I, there's, it I, doesn't
1: go towards anything. Like it doesn't make Eduardo any one thing so that it it results in anything. It's her just- character is important though,
2: because her character, it does two things. One, it shows the two, those two guys, the glamour of creating and owning something, despite being nerds. Mm-hmm. girls are interested yeah. in you, which I, you know, that's a cliche, but I'm sure there is some truth to it for sure. And then additionally, she is used as the bridge to introduce to Sean Parker. That's how we get Sean. Parker and then we never the should
0: have seen her again.
2: And then, yeah, she did not have to light a trash. I can called you fire.
0: 40. I texted you 47 times that I'm lighting your bed on fire. It's like, what? I not suppose she goes their
1: Their relationship is supposed to be like, maybe why Eduardo doesn't have his eye totally on the ball for a while, but that they don't even actually ever explicitly yeah, they don't say know. that.
0: The last thing that's aged the worst executive producer, Kevin Spacey. Yeah. Tough one. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's aged worse, Chris?
1: I, I think that the I think the Christie character and the Christie relationship—the light in the bed. On fire. I mean, obviously yeah, the spacey thing Save. goes into a category by yeah, itself.
0: I I feel the same as well. Hey, Bill, why don't we get into casting what ifs? Brought to you by ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Casting what ifs, I only have two, unless you guys could find anything. Shia LaBeouf turned down the role of of Zuck. Wow, turned it down. He's too manic. He wouldn't have been right. Eisenberg
2: is is an A plus.
0: Grantland fan, Eisenberg. Yeah, he is. Submitted,
2: well, he's a big Bill Simmons fan. I have him on tape saying, do you work with Bill Simmons? He
0: submitted a piece to us that ended up running in The New Yorker instead. It was good. not it nice for grayling. some people,
2: yeah. I love Eisenberg. Uh, I think he's one of the best actors of the last 20 years.
0: It goes back to a lesson that we talk about on the Rewatchables over and over again. Episode one of this 20-episode run we're about to have. You need luck with this shit. Mm-hmm. If Shia LaBeouf says, I'd love to do it. This sounds great. First of all, I actually think... Uh, I think uh, Eisenberg does it anyway because I think Shia gets fired. <laughs> I think... Oh, somewhere between take... Shia versus and Fincher. That They're still Rudy shooting Maro. that movie. If yeah. that's the... Yeah. yeah. It's Shia, kind of Fincher's an like, Stultz get Stultz this guy out of yeah. back to the future thing. The other one is um, Jonathan Groff almost got the Sean Parker role. That would have been great. I mean, Groff is great
1: at Fincher stuff. Yeah, we know the sequel to that is he's, he's in Hunter, Mind yeah. Hunter. Yeah. So yeah.
0: Fincher... He tucked that in his back yeah. pocket and then went to him on Mindhunter. And ironically, he was my biggest problem with Mindhunter. I disagree with I you. I just did not why. like him. I know. We did, we've, We, we we've disagreed on that Wait, one. so he
2: was going to be Sean Parker? Yeah. that's They got it right with JT.
0: JT's good. And I, I actually think it was important in 2010. It's maybe less important now.
2: I think it was a reason why that movie was such a big hit too you know, movies like this aren't always a big hit. It's really hard for movies like that to be a hit nowadays, but him being in it and his, people saying he's really good in it. I yeah. remember being a thing at the time. Yeah, yeah. They
0: leveraged his stardom in a really optimal way. Yeah. And I think that album, man in the woods, I, man in the woods, I think it's going to have a moment. I think it's going to be underrated in <laughs> about you? a year. I do. Yeah. Cool. I think my daughter likes that. You should that do, album. You should do there's some, some
1: good songs on there's it. There's
0: some good songs in that. I yeah. think a year from now, people will be like, you know, it wasn't bad man in the woods. Your future
1: really is in like Larry King style columns. <laughs> Hearing good things about Man in the
0: Woods. Ellipsis. Why is not Doc Rivers showing his hand earlier in games? Ellipsis. That would be like, Ellipsis. Why don't JT and Chris Singleton do more? i love. To Call me old-fashioned. There,
2: there is an empty spot every Friday morning for a dot dash Bill Simmons column. Come on, Let's thank go. you. Thank you.
1: That was Casting What Ifs, brought to you by ZipRecruiter. 80% of employers who post a job on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site in just one day. Try it for free today at ZipRecruiter.com slash rewatch. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash rewatch. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire.
0: Ah, man, we are way behind schedule. Uh, Let's bang out DN Waiters really quick. The Deion Waiters Award for the biggest heat check in the movie. Nominees, Justin Timberlake, Rooney Mara, Army Hammer, Dakota Johnson and Eduardo's girlfriend, played by Brenda Song. Unless you can come up with anybody else, those are our nominees.
2: Larry Summers, yeah. He Douglas Servanski is Larry Summers. Oh, interesting.
1: Yeah.
0: yeah. Uh, Max, what's his last name? Mengele. He's also, I guess, in there.
1: Who do you have, Chris? It's got to be Rooney. She gets one and a half scenes, and we're still talking about her.
2: My response to that is no. Okay. Uh, I think it's I think it's Army. Army was not not a thing. He also wasn't originally cast. It was a different guy, wasn't it? Oh no, excuse me. Actually, what was originally cast as two guys, two separate guys, and then they ended up cutting out the other guy. So well, he was I'm, so I'm talk about that. He was so good that they yeah. essentially had to double him. Yeah, and obviously we know what he's gone on to do.
0: I vote with Chris Rooney Mare. She's in one eight-minute scene. She's in. Another scene for ten seconds, and then a third scene for three minutes. And she may have the line of the movie, and it launched her entire career. Eleven minutes—that's the definition of Diane Waiters. Yeah, half-ass internet research. What are my favorite topics? I was do- actually doing this while I watched the movie because I've seen the movie so many times. Harvard scenes filmed at Phillips-Milton Academy, Wheelock, and uh, Johns Hopkins.
2: Yeah, my wife went to Johns Hopkins. I remember those all that brick.
0: Yeah, very familiar. Uh. We mentioned the Mark Zuckerberg, originally never planned to see the movie, but then ended up seeing it. So they have that line in there where they talk about the biggest thing on a campus included nineteen Nobel laureates, fifteen Pulitzer Prize winners, two future Olympians, and a movie star. One lawyer says who is the movie star? And the response was, Does it matter? Who was the movie star?
1: It's Natalie Portman. It's Natalie Nat- Portman, I thought, went to Brown, though. Who was Natalie Portman? Okay. Who went to Brown?
0: Was it Claire Deanes? I think.
1: Claire Deans? I can't remember right. some. There a were some of,
0: a lot of Grantland people. Yeah, uh, Josh Pence, the other Winklevoss twin. Big what if? there. This is a sad story. It's I feel bad out. for this guy. Tough IMDb for him after the fact. But did you know he's actually in the movie? No, it's what the scene when they're hooking up with the girls in the bathroom, and then they go out, and there's this guy with like facial hair, and he's like, "What's going on in there?" And it's like, "Oh, they're just." Finishing up. That's Josh Pence. Oh wow. They threw him in there to just get his face in a movie scene. That is a classic tough beat. Yeah. Josh Pence. Probably really rooting against uh Army Hammer and Timothy Chalamet. Hoping nothing could happen with them. Uh Justin Timberlake lost 15 to 17 pounds for this role in the movie. Why? Chris Ryan? Because he's supposed to be on Coke? No. Because Sean Parker
2: was on the paleo diet?
0: No. Wanted to seem younger. Oh. Yeah. Okay. Good thing to remember, if you want to seem younger, lose 15 to 17 pounds. Wow. That's an HR violation, Bill. Well, if you lost 15 to 17 pounds, you would look like <laughs> Matt Damon in Courage Under Fire. Uh The opening breakup scene with Jesse Eisenberg and Rooney Mara, 99 takes, eight script pages, which seems like a lot. Yes. it's a lot of script pages.
2: Yeah, that's very hard. Yeah. I think the usual is like three. Didn't Paul Shear just say the usual is like three?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Who played Bill Gates?
2: I don't know. No idea.
0: It was a Bill Gates impersonator. Oh, race. Fincher. Yeah. Fincher. <laughs> Little a wink wink. <laughs> uh, Apex Mountain. lot of nominees for this one. Jesse Eisenberg.
2: That is my vote. I'll just say it right now.
0: I think he has had a good career. I think it will continue to be good. It's hard to imagine him having a more impactful role than this. And if he does, God bless him.
2: This is a really iconic role.
0: I would say Apex Mountain for him, Chris. Yes. Okay.
1: David Fincher. No.
0: I will also Chris say would no quickly. No. No.
2: I think he might. We might still be getting his Apex Mountain.
0: What's I think that, that going to be? I don't know. It wasn't Minehunter. Minehunter season two.
2: I don't. It's not Minehunter season two. But I think that there's something around the bend. I still would. I think I'd probably rather watch Seven.
1: This movie's not perverted enough to be
0: David Fincher's Apex Mountain.
1: Yeah.
2: what? What, what,
0: what is I, your I think, favorite Fincher, Bill? I think this was his Apex for this reason. Um, I think it has a chance to be a movie of the decade. I think he was the best person to direct it, and I really don't think anybody else would have even taken this above a B+. I think it could have gone wrong in a shitload of ways. The little Fincher touches he put on it, it's just kind of a peak of the powers kind of moment for him. And I don't know, expectations were high. It wasn't like people were saying, oh, they're making this Facebook movie. I don't who knows? It was like, once we heard it was Fincher and Sorkin, it was like, yes, circle the calendar. When is this coming out? And it delivered and it was great. And, you know, Seven was a movie. It was kind of like, what's this? Morgan Freeman, Brad Pitt. I didn't really know Fincher that well. I didn't even... There's no pressure on him, I guess. I still, th- I still see Zodiac as
1: his masterpiece, but I, I appreciate what you're saying here, and I think in some ways, you know, Sorkin was initially going to do this; he was going to direct it, and um, his willingness to turn this over to Fincher and Fincher's stewardship of it, and showing that he could make a quote-unquote Hollywood movie, which I think he's done. A little lo- did again with Gone Girl a little bit, or at least tried. Gone Girl's great. Um, I love, love Gone Girl. I love Gone Girl too. I mean, I did, you could talk the, me into
0: that. It's, it's almost Apex. tough to
1: do Apex Mountain with Fe- Fincher because I don't really know like where the dip is.
0: Yeah, Sean might be right. Apex the game Apex you know, like the an, game in, in Panic yeah, yeah. Room or those I think the Benjamin dips?
2: Button is his most l- the least rewatchable of the movies he's made.
1: There's yeah. a great bit where Sorkin like that, was either. talking about how Fincher like goes into a movie and uh He's like, you know, you have a line producer on the director side and a, and a line, pro- an in-house line producer, and they're basically going over the script and deciding how much money it's going to cost. And Fincher comes in and he's like, this movie is going to cost $41 million. And the studio is like, great. How about $30 million? And he's like, it's going to cost $41 million. And they're like, fantastic. How about $35 million? And then Sorkin says, Fincher then goes, you think this is a negotiation? <laughs> this is not a 40 and a half million dollar movie. It's 41 million. And then they're like, sure, okay, $41 million. Amazing.
0: Real boss. I love it. Sorkin, I'm going to say no, unless you guys disagree. Although he did win the Oscar. I just think West Wing is his... This is my favorite script by him. It's an excellent movie. Great job by him. But I still think West Wing, what he was able to do with that show and what it meant. And I don't know how that's not his apex. I
2: think it's the smartest pairing of him to a director, but I don't think it's his best
1: thing. That's because you're gonna say molly's game
2: i'm not gonna say molly's game i'm on the record about molly's game and it's <laughs> many flaws uh I, I think a few good men might be just a more purely entertaining it's a better movie script.
0: script yeah it's too bad because if fincher had directed molly's game it might be in the running for movie of the decade but i movie. would have loved to have seen that movie god maybe maybe there's still time maybe just redo it andrew garfield he did become spider-man this is by far the most interesting andrew garfield
1: role yeah um I, I like this guy a lot. Like, just seems like a nice dude. But he's
0: good in the military movie, the Clint Eastwood movie. Oh, the hacksaw. Ridge? I, I like hacksaw ridge. Yeah. I thought that movie was good. Mel I Gibson. thought he was really good in it. Mel Gibson, not Clint. I don't Houston. know if he's had an. or oh, Mel Gibson. Sorry. Yeah. I don't know if he's had his. Uh, sorry, Clint Eastwood. I don't know if he's had his <laughs> apex yet.
2: He's done some good stuff. He, I don't know. Not many people saw Never Let Me Go, but he's very good in that. He's movie. He's good.
0: Carrie Mulligan dunks on him though. She does. J T. His Apex was 06, 07. And His Apex very is Man of the Woods. and <laughs> Man of the Woods. You're wearing a Man of the Woods shirt today. Thank you.
2: I think it's the Rock Your Body video is the pinnacle of Justin Timberlake. That When that happened, I was like, holy shit, this guy's Michael Jackson. I think Justin Timberlake's like Apex
1: minute. is Lonely Island,
0: so.
2: Okay, well, that says everything you need to know about Chris' relationship to pop music.
0: <laughs> JT's Apex was when that album came out, like 06, and they did the second uh we need to do Man and uh, Dick in the Box with Sandberg. Mm.
2: Yeah, around, it's it's after Crimey River, right?
0: That's the yeah. Timberlake that Evan loved the most. Evan was just nodding very gamely <laughs> during this whole thing, our producer. Mark Zuckerberg <laughs> goes on SNL after, does the awkward SNL cameo where they take the real person and put him, and he's with Jesse Eisberg. And as usual, whenever SNL did that, it's just totally fucking awkward and weird. And then he's there in the closing credits. And at the same time, this was kind of, He's worth a lot of money. Things are good. There's a purity to it. They made a movie, but he's okay. Now he's on SNL and and now he's the devil.
2: Are you saying that this is Apex Mountain for
0: Zuck? I think inventing Facebook I think from a is probably a bigger <laughs> one. I think from a likability slash he's not our enemy
2: standpoint. <laughs> this is just a good question in general. I mean, I don't know. Five years later, his company was not quite a moral quagmire and worth like literally three times as much money yeah. as it was. So. I think
0: 15 was probably his Apex. Yeah maybe yeah 15
2: as recently as 2016 people were like "He should consider running for president in 2024
0: well let's make sure that doesn't happen <laughs> yeah.
2: this podcast is the first army hammer <laughs> this is the resistance uh
1: no i think call me by your name is army sapex
2: i love the lone ranger i'm just gonna stand Jesus for the lone John. ranger i don't give a <laughs> shit shout out to gore verbinski one of my favorites uh it's he call me by your name is okay
0: yeah, I think I agree with Chris. I think a movie about uh, bike riding through Italy, I think, is definitely insane Congratulations <laughs> on that. Let's stop here. It's a nice view over here. We get some grapes.
1: <laughs> I love every did, did single- Did they
0: eat a single grape in that movie? I don't know. Hey, man. <laughs> come on, Bill. Hey, we're going to ride a bike. You want to come? All right. Uh, would this movie have been better with Dana Trejo? I'm going to say no. This might be the first time I've ever said no for yes, this answer. but only as Peter Thiel. <laughs> Mark. Mark. Uh, I had to do it, brother.
2: <laughs> <laughs> what if Danny Trail had Dakota Johnson's role? Would this have been better?
0: No. <laughs> he Sean he Parker. Played. He could have played the cop, I guess, who busts. Sure. He could have been one of the security guards when Eduardo flips out at the end. The thing is, is that if Trejo plays Eduardo,
1: the whole Mark scene goes, when he's like, I'm coming back for everything. You're like, holy shit, Machete's going to kill this guy.
0: I'm going to say no. Uh, Let's pick some nits. The major accuracy issues which we covered before, does this ultimately matter for movie of the decade purposes? I, I'm going to say you know, no. It didn't matter for all the president's men. I I think we should know when people make a movie that it's not their job to be factually but accurate. But
2: they're trying to, this movie is trying to say that there was like a native wound. that There was something wrong with this guy because of a relationship. And that caused all of this. And if you believe that and you believe this movie to be a really powerful and important movie over the last 10 years, there's something flawed about that. Because if that part of it is dishonest, then it's built on something that is kind of dishonest. Now, movies don't have to be about truth necessarily. But when we're putting it in the context of where we are right now in our relationship to Facebook, I think it holds it back a little bit.
0: All the President's Men, it made it seem like only the Washington Post was covering that story. And the reality is the New York Times broke maybe 45% of the stories and did not exist in the movie.
2: That's true. The Post does accurately reflect that.
0: Harvard is way whiter and way less foreign than it is in real life in this movie. I just wanted to point that out. It's Harvard is probably the most eclectic student body we have, and it is people from all over the place. And this makes it look like it's Exeter Academies, like high school senior prom or yeah. something. Well, there's I a, thought that was weird. There's
2: undeniably an aspect of Harvard that is that though. That is the Henley yeah, Royal regatta. And, you that, know,
0: I mean, I get that part. I'm just talking like the really strange kind of super festive Harvard parties at the beginning with strip poker and all, all the Fincher stuff he was doing, which was just completely over the top. Yeah. I mean, but it's just like, that's not really what Harvard's like.
2: You've got, I'm, just, I'm picking nets. You've got Eduardo Saverin is a Brazilian guy played by an Englishman. And you've got Max Minghella, who I think is um part Japanese, but he's playing an Indian man. Mm-hmm. And so there's that's, there, there that's is a, another
0: pick and nits, by you the know, way.
2: But so that's but that goes to your point about kind of what the diversity of Harvard is and what the characters are. I mean, two of the characters are not white characters, but they're played by people who are at least part white.
0: Yeah. Forgot to mention with um with casting what ifs, Aziz Ansari tried out for that max role. No way, really? Yeah. And mm-hmm. bombed it apparently. Oh, no, that's too bad. Wasn't ready. He was still like funny people, Aziz Ansari, at okay. that point. Zuck's life was not this exciting. Harvard is not as fun as it seemed like it was in this movie. Are we sure? Uh, Zuck's life, he told Oprah Winfrey the drama and the parting in the film was mostly fiction. He said, this is my life. I know it's not so dramatic. And he had said he had spent most of that decade focusing, working hard, and coding Facebook and not trying to get girls created the site because he enjoys building things. That's a much more boring movie, unfortunately. So sorry, Zach. I have You're a lot have of friends this one.
2: who were contemporaries of Zucker, where Chris does too. At Harvard. And to a person, they all kind of thought Harvard sucked and wasn't fun.
0: It's that. That's what That's what I'm bringing up with all this stuff. It turns out if you play Trent really or or new Order
1: music behind anything, it seems a lot more cool. I, I would like to know a little bit more about the final clubs, the punch parties.
0: It's a bunch of really driven people who have to work really hard to succeed in the four years that they're there. It's not a place where you're playing strip poker.
2: I think that first scene, though, accurately shows you kind of two sides of the college experience. I spent plenty of nights in college in a dorm with my friends drinking and just staying up all night. That
0: part was accurate. You know, that happens. Facebook author David Kirkpatrick, who wrote a book right around the same time, he said, uh, Eisenberg plays Zuckerberg as an angry, insecure, cocky young jerk. His, his take, in fact, Zuckerberg is one of the least angry people I've ever met, even-tempered, generally upbeat, if prone to silence, highly self-confident. Um, Zuckerberg may be the least angry person I've ever met. More on switching for picking nits. Sure. And then uh, the Dustin Moskovitz, Eduardo Sauron thing for people who actually know a lot about Facebook. They right. say that's like egregious.
1: And the PR guy who's in one scene is Chris Hughes, who now, who is running the New Republic, Right.
2: Yes, that's right. He was one of the the roommates.
0: Best quote. Yes. We did the six foot five, 220, and there's two of me. There's a difference between being obsessed and being motivated. That's a good senior yearbook quote for everybody out there. Defines my life. It's exhausting. Dating you is like dating a (laughs) Stairmaster. You're going to go through life thinking girls won't like you because you're a nerd, and it's going to be because you're an asshole. If you guys were the inventors of Facebook... You would have invented Facebook. And then you're not an asshole, Mark. You're just trying so hard to be. Best quote for you.
1: I'm going to write in for... Please. Um, I'll bet what you hated the most is that they identified me as the co-founder of Facebook, which I am because you better lawyer up, asshole, because <laughs> I'm coming back not for 30%. I'm coming back for everything. Trail. Yeah.
2: Can I do one quick monologue? Yeah, please. Napster wasn't a failure. I changed the music industry for better and for always. It may not have been good business, but it pissed a lot of people off. And wasn't that what FaceMash was about? They, they're they scared of me, pal, and they're going to be scared of you. What the VCs want to say is, good idea, kid. The grownups will take it from here. But not this time. This is our time. This time you're going to hand him a business card that says, I'm CEO, bitch. That's what I want for you. So where the hell is Eduardo? So
1: where the hell is Eduardo?
2: That's the Sean Parker that obviously got underneath Zuckerberg's skin and infected him. And that's a really good, that's a, that's really good Aaron Sorkin.
0: And he definitely did go to meetings wearing pajamas and shit like that. And the, like the, all that stuff the business card is real. That was The Sean Parker story. stuff seems like the most realistic part of this movie. Because he was a showman.
2: You know, he yeah. spoke to that. I, I I think if if you were the founder of Facebook, you would have founded Facebook. That that is the that's the iconic line.
0: I'm down with that, Chris. Yeah. Okay. Probably unanswerable questions. I only have a couple. Did Zuck actually steal the Harvard connection? I say no.
1: Uh, I, think that,
0: I think those guys. Are like, hey, I think what about this movie MySpace teaches us is Harvard. it doesn't
1: really matter.
2: Yeah. For the sake of conversation, yes. I mean, who cares? He won. He won. That's, that was, that's all that really matters. He I
0: care. I'm, I'm an honorable guy. Apparently, unlike you two.
2: <laughs> it, the thing is, is it's just ask Nas. No idea is original. You know, every, everybody has the same idea at any given time. And you're always trying to figure out who can get to the bottom of Those it. Those guys know
1: it too. Those guys know of that it, the only thing that matters the is the he had a completely a fl-
0: original idea. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Thanks. Uh, <laughs> was this movie too harsh about Zuck? No. Okay.
2: Should have been harder. Yeah. Yeah. Not not on him as a human being on what he was doing.
0: I return to the original question from the beginning. Was this the best movie of the 2010s?
2: Let's talk about it a little bit. I'm going to throw some some nominations at okay. you. Okay. I figured
0: you'd be ready. I figured. as the host of The Big Picture on Channel 33. Oh, thanks, Bill.
2: Uh, Boyhood. Nope. Keep going. Mad Max Fury Road. Nope. Uh-uh. 12 Years a Slave. Nope. No. Django Unchained. Nope. Nope. Whiplash. The Tree of Life. Nope. Black Swan. Nope. Before Midnight. No. No. Arrival. No. Looper. No. Moonlight.
0: No, but it's the first time you got my attention. Birdman? Uh Uh-uh. No. The Master. Too many people. I know too many people who are just like, what the fuck was that? (laughs) I think that's a movie for- A small group of people that are just like, wow, that spoke to me.
2: Here's the first real genuine contender. Okay. Get Out. Ooh.
0: Very interesting bookends. Okay. Well, we sung Get Out's praises earlier. You're going to say Sicario or what?
2: (laughs) I don't believe it's in the
0: conversation. What decade was Miami Vice? Oh, last decade. That's right.
2: I should be banished. Here's the thing. Get out. What else do you have? There's a few. There's a few more. Spotlight. I wouldn't say, but I think some people would say that. The Martian. um, I don't know. Skyfall. Maybe.
1: No. I think. I think this is actually maybe less of an
0: argument than I thought it was going to be. I just realized we skipped a category. Which is what? The Mark Ruffalo overacting performance for the They Knew. Mark. Forgot to put that That's in. That's the
1: obvious winner. That's the obvious winner. I think what, uh, I think
0: Garfield. Yeah. I think I, I Timberlake like it. It at works.
1: the Timberlake at the sushi restaurant is like he's really going for You know it. what's cool? Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It seemed like he had rehearsed that scene with a couple different acting coaches. Did we put You Know What's Cool a Billion Dollars in as the as as one of the lines of the movie? See, I think Timberlake wins this. I think he's overacting this whole movie. We just liked him. But you watch that and he's kind of underqualified for that role. He's just likable and it's Justin Timberlake, but I never feel like he's Sean Parker. He's always Justin Timberlake.
2: I think there is something kind of like slick and cheesy and performative about the real Sean Parker though. And so because of that, he's kind of a perfect fit.
0: Would you, well, let, let me just throw this at you because if this is the best movie of the decade and you want somebody who's awesome in that part, like if you took Leo circa 1998, Maybe even 96, somewhere in the 96 to 98 range. And you made him Sean Parker. You gave him that performance. Leo
2: is one million times better as an actor than Justin that Timberlake, is my point. Okay. You, you kind of have that, to have if you put somebody that like
0: part that. in the hands of somebody who really knew what the fuck they were doing. But if you put what's that movie?
2: If you put 1973 Al Pacino as Mark Zuckerberg, he also would have crushed it.
1: That's a hard game to play.
0: That would have been weird.
1: I think it would be 1968 Dustin Hoffman. Sure. Okay. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. How well, about this na- is a fun na- game though. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> 19,
0: 1968 Dustin Hoffman's a good one. Yes. Yeah, essentially the same character. Right? You have the minimal amount of my respect. <laughs> <laughs> the uh, I think Timberlake wins it though. The the
1: the the spotlight award. The yeah. Ruffalo. Are we still gonna do? Are you still doing who won the
0: movie? Uh, we're about to. Okay. Anything else you want to add? No, no, no. Out? I have. I just I wanted to say why I thought. Go, go ahead. So Best Movie of the 2010s, we feel like it's basically Get Out or Social Network right now. And just for the people listening out there, for us, this category is, is encompasses how well done was it? How resonant was it in the moment? What, it, what kind of meaning has it taken as it gone along? Was it the apex of a lot of different people's careers? Was this the maximum somebody could have gotten out of this IP? There's a whole bunch of different parts to it. Yeah. And did it appeal to- the most amount of people in the right ways and all this stuff. Really, we're learning that the 2010s have not been that great for movies. I'm We've had sh- a lot I'm of sure A minuses. I'm forgetting some
2: stuff, but there have been a lot of A minuses, and you know, there's a lot of reasons for that. I think movies are different than they were, and the way that they're made is different. This is the last, last time you could make a massive. When was Inglourious? Uh, I think it's 2009. Okay. Um, this was the last, last time that you could make a major studio movie like this. Like I said, at the top of the show, It just doesn't happen anymore. They don't give $75 million to biopic dramas about tech companies. It's yeah. just
0: not how it's done. Well, and we make this analogy pretty much every rewatchables, but I'm pretty sure eight years later, this is a Netflix series, and not a movie.
2: Mm, I, I often disagree with you about that. And I disagree with you about this one too. I like it you better. As a. Con- mo-
0: I like it as a contained story. Yeah. I don't know if no, I need an, I'm ad- saying I want it to be a movie. I'm, oh, I'm what to have been. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. I think there's more money in the Netflix. <clears throat> Especially Apple. since Fincher keeps, you know,
1: Fincher has repeatedly sort of started to gravitate towards whether the failed HBO series is that he was going to do a couple of years ago and now doing Mindhunter. It's like, I think he's more, if he gets to have do exactly what he wants and gets the budget he wants, he'll do it on Netflix or HBO. I think there's
2: one other one that I forgot, which I think is very different from this movie because this movie is not very rewatchable. But the first watch was incredible, and that's Gravity.
1: Mm. That's interesting. I haven't I really re- like I haven't seen Gravity again since it came out.
2: I was was thinking about it because they put 2001 back in theaters this weekend. Uh, Christopher Nolan restored it slash unrestored mm-hmm. it, and I think Gravity could have a moment for people twenty years from now when they put it back in theaters. Mm. Like it, it, it's an experience still. That's 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 very different from this.
0: Who won the movie? So here are the candidates: Fincher, Sorkin, Eisenberg, Garfield. Just for the fuck of it, Timberlake.
1: So there's a the make this making of featurette that's that's attached to the movie. Uh, Jeff Cronenweth, who shot the movie, talks about how he and Fincher were just like the hero of this movie. And there is like sort of hero (laughs) void in this movie in a lot of ways. I guess it's Eduardo, but. He's, he's not an active participant in the action in a lot of ways. The hero of the movie is the dialogue. And the dialogue actually is the architecture for the way that the film is structured. So the same way that in the first scene of the, of the movie, uh, Erica and Mark are having this conversation that will have a line... Then refer back to that line three lines later, and they'll be having three or four different conversations within one conversation. Is the mirror for what they do when they start doing three or four depositions on top of each other, and they're cutting to different office rooms and then cutting to the action that, that those office rooms are referring to. That's just masterclass screenwriting that only like I don't even know who else besides Sorkin I've ever seen attempt to do something like that. And the way they get an exposition across, which is incredibly fast paced and furious never except for that one Sean Parker scene where he's like, I know your bio and you know, my bio is, is ever really that noticeable. So I think that the fact that the filmmakers themselves were like, the dialogue is the most important part of this movie. And then when you get to the actual rewatchability, we could have sat here for 30 minutes doing lines. And when you turn this movie on, you're never like, oh, I missed the part that I liked or anything. Like You could watch this movie from the last 10 minutes or the first 10 minutes. It doesn't matter. I think it has to be Sorkin.
0: It's a great case. Few Good Men is also a similar case of just the pace of the dialogue stays the same for the whole movie and it works really well. I'm torn though, because I feel like the Sorkin-Fincher thing goes hand in hand. It's tough for me to pick one. I know we're going to have to, but I want to hear Sean's take first.
2: Unfortunately, it's not very interesting because I agree with Chris. Um, you know, the the movie only won two Oscars. It won three Oscars. It won screenplay for Sorkin. It won best score for Atticus Ross and Trent Reznor. And it won best film editing. And the film editing and the script go hand in hand. There's something about the kind of staccato cut Mm -hmm. nature of the way that everybody delivers the dialogue and the way the scenes move and the way everything is going on a dime all the time. Same goes for the music. All that stuff syncs together. And without an amazing script, it doesn't have it. And I think that this was also, I remember when Sorkin won, it was an acknowledgement of like a master has his time and he's, he's often considered a, a master of his form. He's considered one of the five best living guys who does this. So I'm going Sorkin.
0: I also go Sorkin, but I don't want to sleep on how good Jesse Eisenberg was in the movie. Yeah. And I mean, if you get really other actor
1: doing this role, I don't know if the movie's as
0: good. Well, I, I think the Dustin Hoffman in 1970 or something is a really good analogy. Like, it, it was that good of a performance. And really hard, and it's just hard to be unlikable, but not... Hey, not, think about the vanity glow. that movie stars have. How many movie yeah. stars would be like, make me this, I, I'll do this. Well, they'll be unlikable, but they do it in a cartoonish way, like as the superhero villain or but, something but like that. But that's the
2: sad thing about what I was saying before. I mean, the only movie we've really seen Jesse Eisenberg appear in in the last few years is are the DC movies where he's playing Lex Luthor. I mean, that's a bummer. He, he I wish yeah. he was making more movies like this.
0: Yeah, he should be making a movie about like some diehard Knicks fan <laughs> who decides to try to frame James Dolan for something. and Maybe we should write that movie a, for him. a black yeah. comedy and it goes wrong or something. I still... I think Jesse Eisenberg, some good stuff's happened. But I think after this movie, I felt like that guy's going to really have a career in a big, big way now eight years later, I don't know. We'd, I'd like to see him. I think he's got a pretty good life. Sounds like he's just like chilling in Indiana with his wife and does a DC movie every couple no, of years. No, but I, I think there's there's a Dustin Hoffman run in him that I think he could have.
1: I think the problem is probably that Jesse Eisenberg doesn't actually get offered parts in anything interesting. It's like the, the kinds of movies that are really getting made today- He's in the DC movies, but like what what are the movies that Jesse Eisenberg is getting boxed out of? I'm know? a
2: defender of the movie American Ultra. Which I like that movie. Not too. a lot of people saw. It was him and Kristen Stewart. I think it's really interesting, weird, oddball, like action movie. And I wish that he at least got a chance to make more movies like that, but it's just well, it's, it's interesting, not
0: the same like you know, Joaquin Phoenix, who I think you could argue in 2010, if we were Pepsi challenge, it would have been dead even. But as for whatever reason, people love giving him really crazy, awesome parts. And maybe Jesse Eisenberg needs to just be more crazy in real life.
2: Jesse Eisenberg needs like a Spike Jones movie. You know, he needs like a Noah Baumbach movie. He or he
0: needs- ne- he needs one of these directors to just adopt him. You're just like, you're Where my he guy. gets the Jam-
2: Damien Chazelle, like, I get yeah. the three movies well, in a unfortunately row. Unfortunately for him, he got on the Woody Allen train. I mean, he made a couple of movies with Woody Allen yeah, that. and that. Yeah,
0: that's the thing. I want to do his last eight years over again because I just think, like, he probably had really good offers on the table. I'm sure. Um, I'm not giving up on him. I'll buy all of your Jesse Eisenberg stuff. He's great. Uh, yeah, that's it. Episode one, 20-episode series. We got some great stuff. The what's one next? I'm most excited about. I'm, I'm not going to spill what we're doing. Um, what's next is we're doing Denzel next week. Right, okay. I'm not going to spill any of the 20 movies I want. We'll we'll tell you like a week in advance. So if you want to watch the movies ahead of time, you can watch it. The one I'm excited about and the one I think all three of us were meant on the earth to do is July 4th, Jaws.
1: Can't wait. I don't know how long that's going to be. I'm staying alive just for that.
2: My peak emotional experience. I
0: feel the same way about that as I do for a game seven against LeBron if that happens. Like (laughs) I probably would do a hyperbaric chamber before. I might take a nap. I might change my diet. I I might change my diet for that thing. I'll do
1: the entire pod as
0: Roy Scheider from All That Jazz. There's so (laughs) many conversations I want to have about that movie. But the whole Roy Scheider being what athlete was Roy Scheider is I'm ready to go there for 15 minutes. (laughs) He is the most underrated 70s actor by far. It's kind of like an amazing IMDb and he's never discussed. It's like Roy Scheider. It's like Jaws was just Spielberg. Yeah, it's like Roy Scheider doesn't matter in that movie to people, and it's like you—you're all crazy. What? Um, What is he? Alex English? What? What's the comparison point? (laughs) No, he's so much. That's the thing. He's—it's not Alex English. It's—it's like is he George Gervin? Yeah. Oh, okay. All right. He was like, like George Gervin was like the best two guard for ten years, and Roy Scheider was an A plus lister for nine years.
2: This is going to be a great pod.
0: Yeah, I can't wait for that. So anyway. Rewatch. Let's tell your friends we're back. We're back for the next 20 weeks. Thanks to Evan. Thanks to Zach Mack. And uh, don't forget to subscribe and pass the word. We'll see you next week. Like us on Facebook.